0: Good morning, Browncroft. It's so great to be here. I finally made it to Rochester. This is, I mean, seriously, this is amazing. Um, I've been trying to get here for 40 years. I'm serious. Back in the 1970s, anybody here remember the 1970s? Yeah, some of you were alive, you just don't remember them. But uh, back in the 1970s, I signed a contract with the Baltimore Orioles. And the first season I went to single A ball in the California league. And the second season I went to double A ball in the Southern league and played in North Carolina. And the third season I went to spring training and I was on the roster of the Rochester Red Wings. I was so excited to be on the roster. I was gonna play in Rochester. And then about a week before spring training was over, uh, the manager, Joe Altabelli, he pulled me aside and he said, Gary, you've had a great spring, but we're gonna send you back to Charlotte. So I was back to AA. That was my final season. So I'd just like to thank Joe Altabelli, a, a Rochester resident, and the Baltimore Orioles for helping me discover my calling in life. They didn't say what it was, they just said, we know what it isn't, so uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that, and uh, I've been pastoring now for 40 years, and uh, every once in a while I swing and miss, but, uh, but it's great to be, be with you here this morning. Now I live in Texas. I live not very far from where in 1987, the U.S. Department of Energy decided to build the Superconducting Supercollider. And uh, what they decided to do was build this atom smasher so they could isolate the Higgs-Boson particle. Don't ask me. I don't know any more than that, okay? It was supposed to be the uh, elemental particle that uh, they were going to uncover the secrets of the origins of the universe. And uh, the Russians were doing it at the same time, but they decided to build theirs in the capital city of Moscow. Moscow. And for whatever reason, the Department of Energy decided to build it in, of course, Waxahachie, Texas. (laughs) They had to build a 48-mile tunnel, 250 feet underground, so they could accelerate these particles and have them smash together. And, well, you know how government stuff goes. I mean, they, they got... A couple of years into it, $2 billion into it, discovered that it wasn't going to be $8 billion. It was going to be $44 billion. So they shut the whole project down, leaving a 14-mile tunnel, 250 feet under Waxahachie, Texas. Now, what do you do with that? I mean, they gave it to the Ellis County. <laughs> Thank you very much. And they said, what are we going to do with this? So they began to take ideas, and and one of the ideas, this still amuses me, one of the ideas was a guy had a great idea for this tunnel. He was a mushroom grower in Colorado. He said, this is the perfect environment for growing white button mushrooms. And so he made a bid on the deal, He, he, he didn't get it. But ever since I read that story, I've been thinking of what a cautionary tale that is for the church. Think about this. Something that was designed and built to unlock the secrets of the origins of the universe becomes a mushroom farm. <laughs> Listen, you're the church. We're God's church. We are the ecclesia. That's the word of the New Testament. It means the called out ones. And, and, and the called out ones are called out to help people unlock the incredible potential that we have in this room and in this place. And unfortunately, all too often, churches just resort to growing mushrooms. So I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to call churches to the business of helping men and women find and follow God's central purpose for their lives. I I want you to know something, this is very important. If If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, just remember this. The two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day that you discover why. Because so many people go through their life and never understand why. You were created by God You were called by Jesus Christ. You were gifted by the Holy Spirit to change the world. I have not met very many people that are content to go through life just sucking air and eating groceries. But I've met an awful lot of people uh, who who are living lives of quiet desperation. Remember those words of Henry David Thoreau? He said... um, He said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. And when we don't find and follow God's purpose, we we really squander this gift of life that God has given us and we die with a song still in us and we are made for more. Problem is just most people don't know why they're here. Even, even highly successful superstars are clueless about the purpose of their lives. There's this guy, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, his name's Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady is a, a two-time Super Bowl MVP. He uh, is a superstar with five Super Bowl rings. He's married to a supermodel, and he has a supersized bank account. If, if anyone should be living the dream, it's Tom Brady. But I want to show you a real brief clip. This is an old clip. This is back when he only had like three Super Bowl rings. And he was interviewed and listened closely to Tom Brady's question. Listen to this. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football
1: history. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream,
0: my life is me. I thank God. it has got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Is that an amazing statement? He, he says it almost like a prayer. God, there's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I, I, I wish I knew. Now I don't know it was a 10-year-old interview maybe maybe Tom Brady has changed his tune and but but his question resonates with millions of people why do I think there's still something greater out there for me simple answer because there is Because there is, and we're going to look at what that is. I I don't know about Tom, I'm certainly not being critical of Tom Brady. I don't know about Tom Brady's relationship with God, but I do know that the call of God is not some mysterious secret hiding like a needle in a haystack that can only be discovered by the truly religious I remember when I was a young Christian, I was going to a church where people would say something like this, well, before I was called into the ministry, I was only a teacher. What? Before I was called into the ministry, I was an accountant. I hope I can convince you this morning that the calling upon your life is not a calling between higher callings and lower callings. Frankly, that's a philosophical hangover from Aristotle. That is not what the Bible teaches as we'll see today. So um, there are no special people who are called to ministry while the rest of us just kind of cheer them on and send them money. Everybody in this room is unique. Everyone in this room is created for a special or specific purpose for his glory. You were created by God. You were called by Jesus Christ and you are gifted by the Holy Spirit to participate in his mission on the earth. Now, I want to support that statement with a passage of Scripture. You're in the book of Matthew, I understand, and I want to go to that place where Torrance was last week, Matthew chapter 4. I want to look at that passage with you this morning. If you have a Bible or you have a device of some sort, Matthew chapter 4, because I really want you to remember one verse in this section that I'm going to read. It's real simple. Some of you already have it memorized, but chapter 4 of Matthew, beginning in verse 18. I'm reading from the ESV, you may have NIV on the screen, I'm not sure. But here it is. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. I'm glad they tell us they were fishermen. I don't know why else they'd be casting a net in the sea. And he says to them, verse 19. Anybody know this verse? I mean, if you grew up in church, did you not learn this first, like when you were this high? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, and in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, which is one of Mark's favorite words, it comes up all the time in Mark, and Matthew's using it here. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, I want to really drill down on verse 19, because I think there may be some significance there that, that is worth paying attention to this morning. Because usually we just, oh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So let's take that apart a little bit. First of all, I want you to see this. Follow me is an invitation to a relationship. Jesus was inviting people into a life-changing relationship. You ever heard that before? Inviting people into a life-changing relationship. That's the mission of Browncroft. Um, he chose his first disciples, and then he invites them to follow him. In Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 3, I'll give you a little test here just to kind of keep you with me, okay? Here's a little test. He went up on the mountain, Mark tells us, and he summoned those whom he himself wanted. Or NIV says, he called to him those he wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, let me just walk through that again. And here's the question I want you to think about when I read it again. What did he call them to do? It's so a simple thing. What did he look again at it? And let's see, just in your mind, answer the question. What did he call them to do? Okay? So Jesus calls them to themselves. They came to him and he appointed 12 so that, that's a purpose clause. We're going to know the purpose now of why he called them. So that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So in your mind, you're thinking, what did, they, what did he call them? Well... I would say probably eight, nine out of ten people would say, Well, he he called them to preach and uh, he called them to cast out demons. And isn't it interesting how quickly we read past the first part of that? Their first priority, he called them to be with him. He called them to be with him. A growing intimacy with Jesus is the first priority of a disciple. Because listen, if you don't know him, you can never be like him. You, you'll never know the call of God until you know the God who calls. And so he calls them to be with him. Now notice, his calling began with his choosing. That's true in your life too. God chose you before you ever thought of choosing him. Uh, Ephesians 1 says he called us before the foundations of the world. He chose us before the foundations of the world. And, and, and that means his calling is not our doing. Uh, one of the uh, verses that really struck me just maybe two years ago, I was doing a series on 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, I was amazed at what it said there. I, I, I passed over that probably dozens of times. And 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says this. Talking about God. He who saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. You notice that? It says he saved us and Called us. It's as if our calling is synonymous with being saved. You were saved to serve. God has a purpose for our lives to serve Him. And He tells us that the only appropriate response to God's call is to believe Him and accept His gift of salvation. To accept His gift of salvation. And when we do, we Accept his calling. You, you know the passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not of works, lest any of us should be able to boast and say, I'm better than the next person. Now, one of the great evangelical heresies in my mind is how many times people say, well, you know, you're saved by faith. Not exactly. You're not exactly saved, you're saved. What does it say? It says, by grace you are saved through faith. Grace is God's initiating work in our lives. He chose us long before we ever responded by faith. God chose us by grace. He chose us, and by faith we respond. And there's this divine transaction that takes place that leads to our transformation. So grace is God's initiative, faith is our response, faith is simply saying yes to his gracious offer. Inviting people to follow Jesus is part of our calling. It's the first step in the discipleship process to be with him, to cultivate a relationship with him. Follow me. It's an invitation, invitation to a relationship. But I want you to know it doesn't stop there. I think we miss this. It's easy for us to kind of stop and say, yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, follow me. Now watch this. Follow me and I will make you. If follow me is an invitation to a relationship, I will make you is a challenge to change. See, here's what Matthew thinks that you know. When Matthew copied down these words of Jesus, he assumed that you knew that these words, I will make you, are very significant words to a Jew in the first century. Because you find it so much in the Old Testament. For example, God said to Moses, I will make you as God to Pharaoh. Remember Moses is going, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't speak very well. I don't know, shucks. I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. And God says, Moses, Moses, chill out. I will, I will make you as God to Pharaoh. Uh, to David, to David, uh, God says, um, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you go and I will make you a great name. Uh, remember, uh, m- remember to Abraham, Abraham he had no kids and, uh, uh, and God says to him, to, to Abraham's total surprise, one day God says, hey Abraham, you know what I'm gonna do? I will make you a great nation. To Israel, through the prophet Isaiah, God says to the people of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Listen, follow me as an invitation to a relationship. I will make you is a challenge to change. Never forget God loves you exactly the way you are, but he loves you far too much to leave you that way. I will make you what I want you to be. I may take you where you never expected to go to make you what you always wanted to be. Everything that happens is part of the curriculum. Not just the good stuff, right? even the bad stuff. But Jesus' invitation is an invitation to spiritual transformation, to bring new life and a change of heart. I hope you know this about what Jesus was about. Some of you here, if you're fairly new to the faith, I know it can be discouraging to see, you know, some religious people and the things that they do and some of their attitudes. I mean, I I live in Texas, man. I mean, there's people in Texas, they worship a God who hates all the same people they do. Um, But Jesus came to create a society of the transformed heart, not a society of the slightly modified behavior. And his invitation includes a challenge to change. And transformation requires a change of mind. That's what, there's a word for that in the the Bible, it's called repent. (laughs) I mean, literally, the word repent is just a word which means to change the mind, to change our way of thinking, about what? About you, about life. Um, We are all born thinking that we are the center of the universe. I have five grandchildren, every one of them thinks they're the center. They can't all be the center of the universe, but when I'm with them, whichever one that is, they're the center of the universe to me. Um, So we live in a selfie kingdom as Paul David Tripp says, it constantly re- reinforces a life shaped by a shrunken kingdom of one. But the first four words of the Bible confront us with the inescapable reality that it's not all about us. Self-sufficiency is an impediment to God's grace. The only thing, listen, the, the only thing necessary to receive God's grace is nothing. Nothing. And most of us don't have it. We're constantly trying to do it in our own power. We think we can serve God by our own cleverness. And if you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus was constantly pushing back against that idea with the disciples. Um, follow me is an invitation to a re- I hope you've taken God up on that. Now what an offer. And they immediately said, we want to do that. I mean, you, 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 you've, you're leading the kind of life and you're saying some things that we, we want to hear more about. I will make you is a challenge to change, but he doesn't stop there, does he? Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men is an opportunity to serve. Fishers of men is an opportunity to participate with him in his purpose upon the planet. And I think far too many people, listen, I think far too many people are leading what I call a 210 tenless existence. And what I mean by that is people get Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And they leave out verse 10. They're leading a two-tenless existence. Because Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. uh, Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That he's prepared beforehand that all we have to do is walk in them. You are his work. Listen, for young people that are here today, I want to say something to you. That word workmanship is such a key word. That word is the word poema. We we get the word poem from that word. You are God's poem. What's a poem? A a poem is just an expression of someone's heart. When someone puts in words what they're feeling, you, you are an expression of God's heart. You were conceived in the mind of God long before you were conceived in your mother's womb. That makes you God's Special work. God's poema. I know, man, when you're in junior high, you look in the mirror and go, oh, my ears are too big and I don't like my hair. And, I, and you know, we start the comparison stuff. Listen, God made you exactly the way you are because he's a plan for you. that's different from his plan for me. It's the same overall. It's the same general plan. But you're going to reach people I'm never going to meet. And God's going to use you in those circumstances. Um, fishers of men is an interesting phrase Uh, fishers of men refers to the work that was so familiar to the disciples of course he would say i want to make you fishers of men they were fishermen He, he didn't say follow me and i will make you religious professionals He said, he, he said, in effect, follow me and I will show you how to use what you already know to attract people to the good news of the gospel. Follow me and I will take who you are and what you do and I will put it to kingdom use. Instead of using your gifts and marketplace skills for your own benefit, I will help you use those gifts to bless others. You know what Jesus was doing? Jesus was injecting meaning into their Monday morning. See, when you leave here tomorrow morning, you go to your Monday morning pulpit. And you go to work in that place. And he might say to you, follow me. And I'll make you an architect for the kingdom. Come on, let's work together. Let's build things that bless people and and, and serve the people in the industry in a way that that brings my kingdom there. Follow me and I'll make you an accountant. (laughs) Oh, if you want to kill me quickly, make me an accountant. That's just not my thing. I'm so thankful for the accounts of the church that they're so good because Jesus is saying, Follow me and I'll make you an accountant who brings the kingdom into people's lives. Let's use your gift with numbers to make sure there's more fairness and more peace and more reconciliation in the world. Yes. Follow me and I'll, I'll make you a writer for the kingdom. Let's paint pictures with words. That, that, that capture people's hearts and help them see truth. And instead of working in order to just vent your insecurity or build up your own glory, let's write so that others are moved and the kingdom is lifted up. Follow me. And I will make you, <laughs> fishers of men, follow me as an invitation to a relationship. I will make you as a challenge to change And fishers of men is an opportunity for us to serve with him and pursue those good works that he's created for us. By the way, good works in Ephesians 2.10, those aren't not just random acts of kindness. Those are specific works tied to the nature of the workmanship. A sovereign, all-knowing God looked down the road to 2018, and and he saw there was work that needed to be done on earth, and he dreamed up a person with the right combination of skills, gifts, personality, experiences, motivation to get the job done. And when he created you, he stepped back and said what he did at the end of the original creation and said, that's just right. Just right. You're just right. Don't forget that. God has assigned you specific tools to do specific jobs. And listen, all you have to do is do what you're designed to do. All you have to do is play your part. (laughs) When I was a young pastor, I mean, I was... My wife and I planted a church in California when she was eight months. We had a two-year-old, and she was eight months pregnant with twins. And we went into that situation. So we we had nothing, man. We had no money. And one day, uh, a couple years into this, somebody came to to us, and they had tickets to a symphony. And they gave us two tickets to a symphony. Now, this is one of the benefits of being a pastor. You know, you get tickets to things that nobody else wants to go to. So they gave us, they gave us these two tickets. And I was excited. Now, you got to know this. And, and I, I don't want to, you know, this is not false humility, but I grew up in a blue-collar town. My dad was an aircraft worker. I, I, I honestly, in my home, I mean, classical music was like anything before Elvis. So I didn't know anything about orchestras and symphonies, but I just thought this was gonna be a moment. And my wife, I just thought this is gonna be a moment. We got dressed up, we're gonna go out for dinner and, and uh, went to Denny's or someplace really good. And, um, and then we went to the symphony. I'd never been to a symphony. And it, you know, it was real, you know, you've been, I mean, this is a sophisticated crowd, I can tell. And you've been, and, and you know, you, you, there's a buzz and they're all, everybody's tuning up and the woodwinds are blowing and the violins are bowing and there's all this cacophony of sound and everybody's, oh, seeing, you know, because it's some of the people in the community that know each other, oh hi, hello, oh hi. <laughs> and, and you know, we're kind of standing around, you know, I got, my, I got a tie on, I mean, I'm looking pretty good if I say so myself. And, uh, and so then, I, I don't really know the, the drill. Everybody starts to sit down. It kind of gets quiet, and out walks this lady conductor. I mean, she was statuesque. She flowed out onto the stage. And everybody, you know, they did the, they did the symphony clap. And, they, and, they, and, and she walked out, and she bowed. And then she turned to the orchestra, and she went. I'm telling you, I, I would have paid for those tickets for that moment. Because we had three little kids at home. We never heard that noise. It was quiet. I mean, total quiet. I said, just leave it there for a little bit. (laughs) And she turned. She raised her arms. And when her arms came down, I mean, the heavens opened up. I'd never experienced it. I mean, I literally got tears in my eyes. I thought, (sighs) and and I had this moment with God. I said, oh, God, make the church like this. Every person up there is just, they're, they're, they've got their instrument and they're playing it for all it's worth and they're looking looking—they're all looking at the same score and they're playing and this beautiful sound comes out. And then I noticed something. I mean, again, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say it now. I mean, I know, who, I know who he was now, but at the time, I wasn't sure. There's this guy in the back I got to tell you, I don't know what he is, and I don't even know how he got in there. I mean, he's just standing there like this. And I thought, what is this guy? Is he like the uh, triangulator or the percussive triangulist? I don't know. What, I don't even know what he. Now, i mean, of course now I know he's part of the percussion section. I did, I, I just was. That's how clueless I was. But I am totally into it now because I'm watching this, everybody else is playing, the music is unbelievable, but I'm leaning forward because I'm watching this cat. And he's just focused on the score and he's just counting it down. And the longer it goes, the more I'm going, come on, man. (laughs) Your moment's coming, bro, I know it is. And he's counting it down. And then at just the right minute, he goes. (laughs) and He's done. I I, I, I thought, that's it. I thought, man, I hope his parents aren't here. Twenty years of music lessons, he gets a ding. I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about that. Even on the way home, I was thinking about that guy. Because I thought, how many people I know that are in the orchestra that would be going, huh? I mean, I even thought of myself. I thought, "Man, they give me one of these things. I'm probably back here, like going, I don't know see. Act like I'm doing something else, and just ding it so nobody sees it." <laughs> or stand back there and go, "Huh, you know, I could play that down there. I've played a little woodwind before." But you know what? He knew that he had a job to do, and he did it just right—not too soon, not too late. Not too loud, not too soft. And I thought to myself, I, if, I, I promise you, had I, had I left that place, there's never any way that I would have on the way home thought, you know, it was pretty good, but it needed a ding. <laughs> but that person that wrote the score, they knew that's what it needed. Let me tell you something. If it needs a ding, got to have a dinger. God's written a score, folks. We're playing, all playing off the the same score. And you got a part to play. Listen, I'm a dinger. I am. I'm a minor leaguer. You never heard of me before. But God's given me a part to play. God's given me a few lines in the play. And I, all I want to do, man, is I want to say them, I want to say them well. And, and I, not too soon, not too late, not too loud, not too soft. Just, just, just play my part. So, Browncroft, the invitation stands. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Keep reaching. Keep inviting. And let me just say this one last thing. Three words. Take big steps. Years ago, I was pastoring a church. We ran out of space. The neighbor had 13 acres. But the man who lived in the house on the 13 acres, was so, somewhat of a curmudgeon. Everybody knew him as a difficult man. He, he had no uh, fear of God. and But somebody in our church happened to know him from some business dealings. And we convinced this man, you need to go talk to him, ask him, would he be interested in selling a little bit of his property? So he kind of nervously went and sat down with this man and his wife and said, you know, our church has grown and we really, we really need some space, and I, I know your place is not for sale, but is, is there any possible way that you'd be interested in selling it? And, and before the guy even finished, the old guy just said, his, his man's name was Watson that made the pitch, and he said, Watson, I'll give you an acre. I mean, that was more than, he, well, okay, well, we'll work out what it's worth, and he goes, nope, I said I'll give you an acre. And he Watson was just said, oh, thank you. I mean, God had obviously moved in this man's. Oh, thank you so much. He said, Then he says, he says, I'll get I'll get somebody out from the county, we'll survey that. And he goes, Watson, because this man was in real estate. He says, Watson, this is how they did it in, in, in Texas back in the day. He said, Do you know how big an acre is? Watson said, Well, yes, sir, I do. He goes, Well, then walk it off. <laughs> just walk it off. And Watson was so excited to come back and report to us that he had gotten that acre. And so he thanked the man profusely and his wife. And as he walked out, the wife followed him out to the car. You know, the man said goodbye. But the wife followed Watson out the car. And I'll never forget what she said. She leaned forward to make sure she was out of earshot from her husband. And she said, Watson, take big steps. I think that's what God's saying to Browncroft. And don't sit on your laurels. Man, we got work to do. We got people to reach. We got got lives that Jesus is going to transform. So take big steps. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your grace. You found us when we weren't even looking for you. And it's so great to be in a church like this and just sense the your presence, you brought this church into existence. And so I pray now, Father, that each and every person here would have a good, strong sense of what your calling is in their life. They'd be patient with that and let you do your work, but they would just continue to follow, and I know that you will make them what you've created them to be. Pray for good things ahead for this body, for this church, that this will be a beacon in this community and that people will come from all over to be here where the word is preached and people love each other. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
1: Gary Brandenburg. So much I could say, what a joy it is for me, um, now 13 years, to have Gary come and be in uh, my church, our church, together. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. And, you know, we, I mentioned this is the, the anniversary of our, our, our REACH initiative. And You know, God has done amazing things, even in the last many months. I mentioned this, but let me just restate. Just since September 30th, I guess, when we finally opened this building, we have, I said this in a letter to you, had a significant um, bump um, in our attendance. We had 40 people um, in the 21st of October um, who made first-time professions of faith. You saw one of those testimonies a few weeks ago. You'll see a great testimony next week. And when I think of just that, just that little snapshot, it's kind of like you know the 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 day of Pentecost. If you know the story of the early church, you know God just sometimes, out of a lot of thought and prayer and hard work. He just drops down some rain from heaven, some manna from heaven, and the Spirit does amazing things. And, and sees life change happen, and there's nothing more um, pleasing, nothing more um, brings greater joy than to see us, God, do life, cha- life change in people who don't know Christ as their Savior. But, as Gary said, you know, that's, is even the book of Acts, just the beginning, Right? We, God is calling each one of us, right, to say, you know, into, to his invitation. Each one of us to say, God, what do you want to make me into? Each one of us to say, what is my um, individual calling? What is my Monday morning pulpit? What is my instrument um, in this orchestra, right? There is people in this community, like you saw on the 21st, like you will see next Sunday if you're here, people that look like you and me in every profession and every classroom on every um, neighborhood street right around here, right? Um, Who look as nice as some of you do this morning, but who don't know the saving grace of Jesus um, that you and I, many of us know here this morning. That's what we're called to do. And when more of us say yes, only God knows what he will do uh, with his church. That's what this whole thing is about and has been about. Amen? Uh, stand with me. Let me uh, say to you uh, on this, the 18th of November, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving with your family, with your friends. Um, take some time, as we will do in earnest next Sunday, but take some time also to thank God uh, for what he has done in your life, what he has given to you. As Gary said, God calls us um, long before we ever say yes to him. And uh, where would we be if it were not for God's call? And uh, thank him for what he's done and thank him for what he's doing. And have a great Thanksgiving. Have a great Sunday. See you.